Hello and welcome to Pop Culture 5. I'm Thomas Senna, and with me as always is the Kirk Hammett to my James Hetfield. Jeremy Dove, how you doing today, my good man? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. This is uh this is gonna be a fun one. This is definitely something that is a little it's in the wheelhouse, but it's a little bit of a challenge and it, it was definitely fun to to prepare for this episode and yeah. uh I'm ready to thrash with you, my man. Awesome. I know I gave you the arguably probably the most talented woman. Yeah, Robert Trujillo is, but Kirk Hammett consistently might be the best musician in Metallica. Yeah, so I, I gave would say that so. one to you, James Hetfield, because I'm hosting the show today. Mm-hmm. So that's why I thought that was appropriate that you're uh, the Kirk Hammett. No, I'm James a. Hetfield. I like Kirk. I'm yeah, a, I'm a Kirk fan for no, sure. So no. I I appreciate that. No, he's great. So today's topic's Metallica. Before we get started, though, I wanted to tell you, Jeremy, that this week, Forrest Gump of pop culture kind of struck again. No. Well, not not like a an event per se, mm-hmm. but it was a cool story, if, if you don't mind. Of course. Wanna, okay. So yesterday, I was at the gym, and I walk into the locker room, I find a locker, set my stuff down, I sit down, start taking off my shoes, and I look up, and there's somebody sitting across, <laughs> across like a, literally like three feet from me. It's Giancarlo Esposito. Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just started to untie my shoes, and I looked up, and Giancarlo Esposito sitting right in front of me. Did you know he's like, is he, does he live in your area? Or He, he might be, well... He might either be filming something here. We do a lot of there's a lot of filming that's done in Albuquerque, so okay. he might be filming something. There's it's possible he lives around here because he filmed Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad here in Albuquerque, and maybe you know a lot of them, a lot of the actors on those shows took to the city. So maybe he has like maybe he stays here sometimes. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. He's filming something, so it's not like a shock to see somebody, especially like from Breaking Bad. You right, know. right. But it's a shock when you're just like going about your business and you look up and there's like Gustavo Fring. There's, <laughs> you know, you know, there's bugging out. Like, oh yeah, like right in front of you. So, so there's nobody around. So it's just us two. So I, so I kind of was like, uh, you know, we we're sitting there. He was kind of like just, just putting his clothes on. I think he's a swimmer. So I think he was just kind of like putting his swimming trunks on. I think he likes to do that. So I just kind of like looked at him and I was like. So I have a pop culture podcast, and I said, and and we were talking recently about Spike Lee, essential Spike Lee movies, and we were gushing about Do the Right Thing. And I told him, I said, so like, I said, you and everybody else should be so proud because that movie stood the test of time. And he and he smiled and he nodded and he's like, thank you. I said, thank you so much. And he said, I, that's a amazing movie. And. Yeah. And so then he's like, thank you. I appreciate that. And then so I was like, yeah, absolutely. It's just amazing. You know, it's, a, it's such an amazing movie. And then we just kind of both nodded. We, we continued like changing. And I put my stuff on. When he was done, he walked past and he looked at me and he was like, good, good to see you. And I was like, yeah, you have a great day. And that was it. So, so this is just, I mean, <laughs> you have to admit, right? You, I hope you know, like you... You have to take on, like, you are, like, Forrest Gump here. Like, you just... Well, I thought for a second, like, I'm, I told myself I have to be living in a simulation or something. <laughs> and they ran out of people to to put as the stand-in, as the person next to me in the locker room. So they decided to put, like, Giancarlo Esposito. Maybe that was a mistake by whoever runs this simulation. 
No, no. See, because your four is Gump because it's impressive when people like, oh, from afar or they just, you know, someone was walking by and like, oh, celebrity, someone famous is like in there. But you're having these conversations, <laughs> like you're interacting with people. You mentioned, which is so cool, our podcast. Yeah, and so like John Carl Esposito's heard about our podcast. Which is insane. <laughs> which is insane. Like you're, you're like a walking, talking, marketing thing by just <laughs> existing by just living like you yeah. just you know bump into like now for our audience it's now just become i'm not like will it happen it's just who's next like i'm just <laughs> like who's who's gonna be this week like i'm just waiting like that's insane that's awesome that's really cool but that's just like it, it started off as like a joke to serious <laughs> to now it's like fact it's the law Thomas yeah. will bump into a celebrity every so often. It's just it's just gonna happen. I was telling my wife, of course, I got she got home and I was like telling her the story and I told her, and it's gonna be hilarious when I tell Jeremy this too. He's gonna get a kick out of my my flap. She's like, oh yeah, that's gonna be. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just I I just I need to know the what historical things gonna happen and you're gonna be like I was just there. I was just yeah. walking by, you know. Um, for those who don't listening, we were on the we were guests on the Fandalorian podcast, and we did a '90s draft, and they even picked up on it, and they were in on the. I, I don't want to call it a joke because it's real. Like you just told the story, so it's not like a joke. It's it's real life here. Like it always happens. But they were noticing Thomas is just at around celebrities and at all these events that happen, and it's just Thomas Gump. I was just going about my day. I was just at the gym in the locker room. And, and all of a sudden, and then this morning, he was there again. So, what I was talking to another man about the upcoming the about the Lions Forty ers game coming up, and mm. Giancarlo was just kind of like listening and doing his thing, and then and then he just walked 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 past on his way to the pool, and he was just like, "Hey," and I was like, "Hey," and then he just like went about and probably did his thing or whatever. So it was just, I guess, like he's in town for something, and he just. Wants to get a workout in. I don't. I don't know. But I just want. I hope you and people listening just pick up what just happened with that second story. Like the second day, <laughs> you know, John Carlo was just like. Now he's just like, yeah, John Carlo was just there listening to me break down. You know, the football game playoffs, and he was just taking it in, being like, "Good point, Thomas." And then yeah. uh, he was just like, "How you doing, buddy?" I said, "Hey," and now you're like, "I'll be he's waiting like, for next week." You yeah. know, you're gonna have coffee. He'll have some coffee with him, and I'll let I'll let you know if he invites me out to coffee. If he sees me again, I'm gonna like become a familiar face, and then oh, you're yeah. gonna go have coffee or something. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, pretty soon, you, like because I know you're not, and I'm not like you know, but it's like if you do keep bumping into him, you gotta just have him on the podcast, ask him to come on, just because like <laughs> you just keep seeing him. It's just like if you want, you want to come on the show. Yeah, just meant to be. Yeah. Insane. So, so he's yeah. So my new friend, good friend of the pod, Giancarlo Esposito, <laughs> Gustavo Fring from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Giancarlo, for listening. And, thank you. Yeah, Jeremy and I appreciate it. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so today, today's topic, Metallica. So Metallica, their current lineup: James Hetfield on vocals, Kirk Hammett lead guitar, Lars Ulrich on on drums and Robert Trujillo on bass. So uh former members, because they've had an extensive history, former members, uh Ron McGovney was their original bass player, 81 through 82. Cliff Burton, a lot of metal fans, a lot of music fans know the story of Cliff Burton. He passed away uh tragically in a tour bus accident in Sweden 
1986, he was their second base player. Third base player, Jason Newstead, he took over for Cliff. 15 years, he was the base player for Metallica. Um, also, Dave Mustaine, he was in the <laughs> band for a couple years, lead guitar. He eventually left and formed Megadeth. Uh, no love lost yeah. over the years between Dave Mustaine and and Metallica, Jeremy. Yes, yeah, he... Uh... He was asked to leave. <laughs> yeah. how, how the story went down, you hear some de- debates between the, the group and, and Dave, but um, I guess the silver lining is for a lot of metal fans who he formed Megadeth and a lot of you know, people who like that group. But uh, yeah, it's been, he had a good, and I don't know if it's still been going on or whatever, but he had a good run of uh, whenever he got a chance to take shots at Metallica, yeah. he did. Yeah, he seems like a. I don't know if he's calmed down a little bit or not, but he seemed like kind of a edgy, angry kind of guy for a yeah. while there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seems yeah. like it's. It, yeah, he took yeah. it took it to heart. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And but before we get started about Metallica specifically, Jeremy, I'm curious about was we we never really talked about I guess metal and hard rock and stuff. So I'm curious about your relationship as a listener with that genre of hard rock and metal. In general, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a family and amongst friends who honestly we listened to like hip hop and R and B and stuff. And so me, especially with my group of cousins, me listening to hard rock and and whatnot was like a weird thing. <laughs> no. Um, so so what's your relationship with with the genres? Similar to that, that that's who I grew up with, and like a lot of like definitely family. No one in the family at all. Having a mix of friends, definitely having. My a lot of friends who love hip hop and R and B, and having friends who like classic rock, and then you know as you get older, meeting people and having friends who you have other interests, but then when it comes to music, it was very different, and they liked heavy metal, and I won't say to be honest with you and the listeners, I'm a overall heavy metal fan. I do know of like the you know for a while the big four and you know all those things like that. But Metallica was different. Where Metallica was, I kind of compare it to when I have met people who are country fans, and I'm not a country music fan, and they're like, do you like anybody? And I go, well, I like Johnny Cash, that's about it. And they go, oh, well, Johnny Cash is different. Like, okay, everyone likes Johnny Cash. Metallica was that, where like, do you like heavy um, heavy metal? And I go... Well, I like Metallica. They're not, and they oh, well, don't don't count. No, no. Anybody else? And I go, uh, not as much. Like a couple songs here and there, but yeah. Metallica, I like. So they're kind of like that. Like Metallica, like bridges it where everybody I feel knows that group. Yeah, that I was gonna bring that up too, because even like my some of the cousins that I had and friends that I had who were primarily hip hop listeners, they liked Metallica. Mm-hmm. So it took it took a while. That that was almost Metallica was almost sort of the accepted hard rock and metal group to like if you were a fan of hip hop and and R and B and things like that. Since I kind of find funny, like one of, recently one of my cousins who I remember he he listened to hip hop. He would introduce me to different hip hop groups all the time. As an adult now in his forties, I saw a picture of him on Instagram in a Metallica shirt. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, cool. That makes sense. Orlando likes Metallica. That uh, <laughs> that checks out. I guess that's so. That was always like, man, Metallica had like this. Uh, I don't know. Like, why do you think that is? Like, why did Metallica get that pass? I feel like um, part of it is maybe timing. 
of like when like in that like them establishing in like the early to mid eighties and kind of like leading that charge. I think also as I, especially as I gotten older, just like the artistry, like the, the music, like you talked about like how great like Kirk is, you know, and to me, like from whether it was Cliff Burton to, you know, just different people later on, how talented of artists these guys are. Mm-hmm. And to me, like when you hear like especially albums early on and then you get into the 90s, like I'm just hearing like just the guitar, the bass, the drums, you know, James Hetfield, to me, his vocals got better as each album progressed. It was like from the first to then when you get to like the second album, the third album, he sounds better. And then I think they did. And I don't think they went in a like you know that quote-unquote sellout way they have a crossover appeal to an extent but i feel like they didn't lose their roots at least early that core metallica years that people go to mm-hmm. i still think that that's not sellout stuff at all and i think that in my opinion is why i think people kind of like them it's accessible it's kind of funny with the sellout stuff that that term has has gone the way of the dodo bird a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of people, it's not really in fashion now to like accuse people of of being sellouts and everything. Um, no. but but people were talking about Metallica being sellouts as as early as 1984, like their second album, Ride the Lightning. There were there were comments about about how they've gone soft because fade. Have you heard Fade to Black? That's a soft or slow song, or so. So there were there were whispers and. And more about Metallica selling out as early as 1984, which I don't think they did. And especially those first five albums from right. Kill 'Em All to to the Black Album, just stone cold classics in, in the metal genre. Were we, no. Did you? When did you discover? Like, kind of when did you start delving into their catalog? Probably it was like the mid 90s, and I kind of started with like it was the Black Album. Mm. That was the one I first was introduced to, and I had friends, they played that, and just those songs on there, they were kind of accessible, and Inner Sandman, you heard everywhere, and especially being sports fans, like, it really, you just heard it all the time, Mm -hmm. and then as I got older, you started hearing, it was songs that I had heard before, but from hearing the Black Album, and then even seeing some of their later stuff, I didn't know that was Metallica, songs from like you said, Ride the Lightning lightning and stuff like that, I go, oh, that's Metallica? I had no idea that was them. And like songs I had heard and I would jam to and like, oh, that's pretty good. And so it was kind of like, let me go back and let me kind of learn a little bit more about them. And it was also, I think a lot of people in our age group, like we remember those VH1 behind the musics and Metallica stood out because like you said earlier, the the tragic death of uh, Cliff Burton. And that always kind of stood with me of how that happened and that story. So a lot of also documentaries on Metallica too were like essential for me growing up. Yeah. Those documentaries, man, some kind of monster. When's the last time you watched that? That's a great one. I think that was around 2003. That was, that was, was there was following was when they were making the St. Anger Mm -hmm. uh, album and they were kind of, doing therapy and working out songs for the album. And that was such a fascinating look at a band. It's kind of getting sick of each other. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, you, ways, you were, honestly, it was surprising that even at up to that point, they had proved, produced so much great work. You were kind of surprised. Cause you were like, seems like they can't stand one another. Yeah. And they're just so different. And it was like, but it, it kind of was a good, I'm glad they showed that. Cause it was a good side of what a band really is like too. Yeah, exactly. And we got to see them audition Robert Trujillo and mm-hmm. find Robert Trujillo, and he's still in the band. 
He's been he's their longest tenured bass player. He's been in the band for going on twenty one years now. That yeah, that was some kind of monsters great. There was even the really neat documentary about the making of the black album. Yes. Too. That's a neat Which one. So really we good. got to see them do a documentary of making a good album. And then a documentary <laughs> about them making Saint Anger, which I personally don't like. No, the album, it, it's more like with the Black Album documentary, it was, it was, the documentary's good, but it's like, oh, this album, like the music. Yeah. The other documentary was more of just like fascinating to see the group dynamics and exactly. seeing how they like operate and stuff. Like, like you couldn't like turn away from it. Exactly. And they're a great live band. Have you ever got a chance to see them live, Darren? Never got a chance to see. I know people who have, but mm-hmm. I haven't. They're, yeah, they're super good. I, I recommend if you ever get the chance. I they, they still, from what I've the videos that I've seen and what I've heard, they still put on a really really great show. So if you, if they ever come around your area, I think it'd be it'd definitely be worth scooping up a ticket. Well, I I probably will go because two of of my closest friends, their husband and wife, Mike, I mentioned him in the Beatles episode, and and, and Robin, and they're huge Metallica fans. And Mike actually, way back months ago, was asking, when I was telling him about the show, mm. was asking about, are you going to do an essential Metallica? And actually sat down with me and, and helped me back months. I have this from months and months oh, ago. Nice. From like October, and we're recording in January right now. I had the list ready. Before you even brought up this as an idea, so when you, you said Metall- I was my list was made. From I didn't October. know that you were all set. Mm-hmm. You were like, "Heck yeah, let's do a Metallica!" Episode. Oh yeah, we. I I knew because I was like, I was positive. I'm like, I think Thomas would like Metallica. So he asked me, and then we started just talking about the albums. Yeah. I had gotten him some vinyl Metallica albums in the past for Christmas. So of Metallica, so um, it, it, we had a good conversation with it. And so. He definitely helped me with this list months ago. We kind of talked back and forth with it, so I was ready for it. Yeah, so that'll be that might be somebody you could go to the concert with. Yes, if yes. They, if they ever come by, yeah, I was fortunate enough to see them in 2008 at the Bonnaroo Music Festival in Tennessee. Oh, okay, I've had a lot of great experiences at Bonnaroo. Yeah, I can tell. Metallica headlining was one of them in, in 2008. It was awesome. Uh, they performed so so. Uh, Death Magnetic was the album that had come out, but it's interesting because they had, they didn't play a single song from Death Magnetic in their whole set at Bonnaroo. They actually played one song post Black Album, and I okay. think they had twenty something songs in their set. So everything they played the Memory Remains, which is post Black Album, but everything else was from the first five albums. So I was just like, oh, that's awesome, loving it in heaven, and it was awesome. And so right before them. Chris Rock had done stand-up on the main stage. Okay. So they, I think it was James and Lars, introduced Chris Rock. And then before Metallica set, Chris Rock introduced Metallica. Oh, how was that? So that was really neat. Yeah, it was kind of a mix. Like, Chris Rock went over really well, like, in a big setting like that. Because there are probably 50,000, 60,000 people watching. And Chris Rock had the entire crowd in the palm of his hand. And And then... it was a quick changeover because they already had the instrument set up, and then he goes on stage and introduces Metallica. Tonight, you are about to see the baddest motherfucking band in the world! Metallica! Did they have good synergy? Did it seem yeah. like he just had to do it, or did it sound like he kind of had a little bit of a fandom of them like he knew their stuff no uh, he sounded like he was excited about it um 
So he was like energetic about it, I think. But it was just wild that kind of seeing like Chris Rock and Metallica and they were That's really cool. each other. And so that was, yeah, that was a really neat thing. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah, so, so that was the one time I saw them and it was, I couldn't have asked for a better set list and a better performance, to be honest okay. with you. Yeah. They gave you, yeah, they gave yeah. you a great one. Yeah, they delivered the goods. So I am ready to pick our five essential Metallica songs. I am too. I am too. Awesome. So the rules of this here thing, we are discussing, of course, five essential Metallica songs. Since I'm the host this week, I have three choices. Jeremy will have two choices. He does have a veto. He's probably now, I've, you've been working out what you're going to veto of mine probably since with your friend since October, apparently. <laughs> you've been having this veto in mind. So so this is like a built up sort of thing. So so I better be on my toes. Cause... I might phone a friend in the podcast. Oh, I might call friend. Mike and be like, Mike, uh, this is what Thomas said. Is this, this essential worthy? No, yeah. veto. So yeah, Jeremy's gonna say, "Well, give me Thomas. You have to give me a few minutes to listen to the song." When really, in reality, you're just gonna call your buddy. Yeah, I'm calling Mike. Be like, yeah. hey, "Give me, give me one minute." The screen goes to black, and then I'm like, "Mike, he said this. What do you think?" Yeah. <laughs> so that's the thing too with a lot, of, especially with the music topics that we allow each other, uh, if if we choose so choose to, a uh, few minutes to to pause the podcast and listen to the song and come with fresh brain. Right to the song. So, and today's topic is a by request topic. Your buddy Mike requested it. Mm-hmm. Listener Ryan Page asked if we could do a Metallica episode as well. So, you know, Jeremy and I thought it would be a good fit. So here we are, uh, Ryan, Mike. Here's your Metallica episode. We're excited here. If any of you uh, go on Twitter, Instagram, let us know if you have yes. any requests for a future topic. Absolutely. If we decide that it's a good fit. Like uh, like Mike and Ryan Page uh, suggested this one, then we'll go ahead and do it. So appreciate you all for listening. Appreciate the suggestion for this topic. Absolutely. All right. So here are our choices, and I get the first choice. And I am going to go with what I think personally, and I bet a lot of Metallica fans would think this is probably, I would consider this is their greatest song. Mm-hmm. It's like their Bohemian Rhapsody in my opinion, their Paranoid Android, when we were talking about Radiohead. To me, I would put it in that realm as far as Metallica songs go. So we're going to go, Jeremy, to 1988 from And Justice For All, and it's going to be one. Yeah. So you're saying, yeah, you're saying, yeah, you're shaking your head. like you. So, Jeremy, you think this is like one of the more obvious choices out there for Metallica? Yeah, I think it's in, I think they have, a, which is credit to this group, there's a few choices to hit that Bohemian Rhapsody, that kind of, there's like, there's like a handful of them that mm-hmm. you can pick, but I think this is definitely in that mix, and it's just, it's a, it's a influential song in so many ways. Yeah, it's good. Like, like just how it starts. Like, it gets me going right away. Like, just the eerie beginning, when the 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 sounds of war. You hear the helicopters. You hear the shooting, and then that guitar kicks in. 
and like kind of just slowly like an, an eerie kind of vibe to it and then the the drums kind of start coming in strong as the song continues to slowly build there's this like really recognizable guitar melody yeah. which with metallica they have a bunch of melodies and riffs that are like to me like iconic in the metal world and i think one has one of those Everything about this song just comes together so well. It builds up, Deremy. Like, what's your just relationship with this song? For me, it was always the storytelling. You know, this you know the story of this World War One soldier who winds up getting his limbs blown off, and all he really has is his mind. And I, I love to meet James Hetfield's voice in this, but it was more like the writing and the story. Like with this song. It's giving you this little story, but this like mini movie, and it's so. In the music video, it's a classic video too. Oh, amazing! This, you know, one of the best videos I think, honestly, of all time. For sure. And it was really their first kind of breakthrough into that MTV world. You know, was with one, and I think that also is why to me it's essential. Is you have the video, but to me, the songwriting, the storytelling, James's voice is so great. If you had no music video f- with this song. I'd be okay because I can picture it. Mm-hmm. I can picture it. And that's what always struck me was like, man, how like dead on I can get this emotion from this song, how I can, I can picture who this guy is and I can picture what kind of torture he's going through. And it's very, it has this, you know, which surprised me, you know, someone who didn't grow up with Metallica got into him later that it has this political, you know, anti-war kind of vibe to him. And I was just like, okay, Metallica, like, yeah, and that kind of just impressed me. But I think it's just huge, and just like you said, it's an anthem. And yeah. it, they had they've done some anthems before, but I think this was that culmination of it. Of like this, this is the anthem for Metallica. Yeah, that music video, man. Like uh, they they weaved in scenes from Johnny Got His Gun, mm-hmm. which is a movie from 1971. I think they took inspiration because there was a book, Johnny Got His yes. Gun. So that was like part of the inspiration and the movie was part of the inspiration. To me, when you watch the video and you see those, they weave, weaving those scenes and sound bites in and out, it almost transforms the song. It's almost yeah. a completely different song, mm-hmm. the music video as opposed to what's on record. Now I'm choosing the one from And Justice For All. Yeah. But I urge people to listen to both of them and watch the music video. Because it's just so eerie. Like they, they just time it like the editing of that music video was so perfect to time out like the, the sound bites from the movie leading into a different part of the song. And you're right. I think this is one of the greatest music videos of all time. And, and especially this arguably put them on the map. Yeah. And especially for if you look at it, what MTV got established in 81 and one came out in 88 to 89 when it kind of went go. So this isn't like. You know, and a great music video anytime is a great video, but this is still earlier into the history of music videos and how innovative it was and how different. And I think that's what stood out. Like, if you didn't know the song, people know this music video, which is impressive. This song also has one of the most iconic parts, like sequences musically in metal history to me. And it's one, one thing just in any song ever, like this part sticks out to me. It's, it's when about... 
about four minutes and 20 seconds in with Lars's double bass. So that's, I think that double bass is the part that that most people, is like that earworm that they're most familiar with, you think? Yeah, and it kind of has like a military, like a militaristic kind of vibe to like it too. Like a cadence to it. Yeah. Like that. yeah. And it just kind of gets you going a little bit and it's just like, okay, mm-hmm. like, and I, and I think that's what I liked about Metallica. You hear that they are thrash and heavy metal, but you hear the influences of other great bands before them into it as well. And I think they strove to not just stay in their lane. And like you said, calling someone um, sellout, we all know how lame that is. But I think even looking at it like back then, like, no, they were just pushing it. And to do something like this, it takes a lot of guts. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's funny too to me how the the drum in this song is is one of the most iconic things going and there's a lot of there's a lot of conversation amongst music fans, metal fans, even Metallica fans about Lars. And I think we, I think we could all admit he, Lars isn't the greatest drummer. No. I think everybody there's a famous part in some kind of monster where James is like pissed off at Lars's drumming because mm-hmm. cuz he can't keep a beat mm-hmm. in one of the songs. So Lars isn't the greatest drummer, but he has so many recognizable great drum parts which fascinates me and when you, we see it in one we see it in a lot of other songs but that like Jeremy what do you think about that like Lars like uh, almost inarguably not being the greatest technical drummer but still providing memorable parts i think it shows that a i mean you do have to have some skill to to sure. be on this level I mean, for it's sure it's all relative yes yeah but it was like he's a big part of you know, kind of orchestrating it. So if you're kind of in there of like for different songs of like, maybe James has a vision, but you're sitting there. And to me, a lot of times Lars was like ironing out that vision. You can kind of help to like, all right, well, this is where I can kind of go in here and do my thing. And it doesn't have to be about, I'm giving you the greatest drum solo, but I'm going to add my part. And it's all part of that big, you know, collective. And I think that's kind of cool. Like you can still be memorable and be great, but you don't have to be the greatest at it. Sure. Yeah, I think I think it gets over. I think a lot of music snobs tend to focus on like, well, technically Lars isn't the best. I'm like, well, yeah, technically you're right. Like in my opinion, Danny Carey from Tool is probably like the greatest drummer I've ever heard. But mm-hmm. th- but there's other drummers. There's musicians in general who are technically great but not interesting. Danny Carey is very interesting. But like, there's other examples of yes. very technically proficient musicians who just bore me. Mm-hmm. And Lars. Not relatively speaking, not technically proficient, but he has a lot of interesting parts to me in a lot of these Metallica songs. Yeah, well, I think that's the that's a great point. In all types of art, there's something for everybody. There's people who are really technical, and and there's that's great. But then, do they necessarily hit you? And I think art needs to strike emotion. So I feel like okay, you can name technical drummers who are much better than him. But are you going to be talking about them? Are we doing a, an essential podcast about them? No. Yeah. But we're talking about Lars because there is a r- lane for that where 
is interesting. He's helping to tell this story, and it hooks you, and it gets that emotion from you. Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of Metallica fans uh, would say the same thing. And th- Jeremy, this song's so powerful live, and they 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 love doing this song live. This is like a big crowd pleaser, someone that they always do live. And one thing that always, after I saw them at Bonnaroo, one thing that really stood out to me when when they do this song live, James puts extra umph into certain lines, like when he said like. He put extra umph in that at the Bonnaroo performance, so you could tell they like amp it up. When they say landmines, yes, they actually do like a pyro effect on stage. Landmines, oh, awesome. and you hear a like on stage. So they really like love performing this song. It's so good live. This album isn't one of my. It's in the classic reign of Metallica. Yeah. I don't necessarily love this album yeah. for me personally. It's a I dense do love album. this song. Yeah, yeah, it's a dense album, so I don't I don't blame you necessarily. Yeah. It's all this a lot of the songs are seven, eight minutes. Yeah. And uh I think when we when you watch the making of the black album, they might allude to that. Like mm-hmm. Bob Rock specifically didn't want another Injustice for All. <laughs> mm-hmm. That he wanted something more accessible because Injustice for All this song aside, there's a few good songs, but it's yeah. like one of their least accessible, probably their least accessible early album. I, I think so. I agree. And it, it's not, and for people listening, it's not a bad album. No. It's just not, it's not what I, especially if you listen to like the previous like three albums and then you get the Black album, it's kind of just like that. It's last out of those. Yes. So no veto. Not I at all. I assume this one skates by. Uh, we have from Man Justice for All one. All right, Jeremy, the the floor is yours. So I'm going to go to their second studio album and something that I think, you know, Ride the Lightning, which I really enjoy. And this is one of this is maybe the number one song that I would listen to and loved and it took me so many years to know that it was like this is Metallica, but this one I think rivals one as like a power ballad. And I think maybe maybe their first one, but I, I'm gonna go with Ride the Lightning, that album, but Fade the Black is the song. I lost the will to live. It's a song that I love, and it's a song to me that I think it just kind of hits the emotion. And I feel like it it's their it's their many way of trying to do their stairway to heaven. I kind of feel you listen to the song and going up from the beginning to that four minute mark. I feel like it's a really it's a great song, and it's good. It's like an anthem, and it kind of gets you going. And like it's like slower, but like you feel that like emotion kind of. And then when you hit that four minute mark, Thomas, and then it just booms in there, and then I'm just like, whoa, like this song just gets it. And I'm like, what the heck? (laughs) 
feeling that I have, if I could connect it to a previous episode, was that the Radiohead song that's kind of like you're just kind of going along for a little bit. It's a different song, but it's that like, all right, it just it kind of lulls you in, and then it just breaks out and it hits you. I love that four-minute mark. And I, I want it, before I, I kick it to you, I, I have a little weird thing here because I don't mm-hmm. know if it connects, but when I hear that song and it just getting ready for this episode – just that, like, and on the four-minute part, it kind of reminded me of, for some reason, uh, T-Rex, Children of the Revolution. Maybe it's a stretch. I don't it know. Like but like a T-Rex. They seem like guys who listen to T-Rex. Yeah, and I didn't. I wanted to see if you. I know you would know, you know, T Rex and that song, but but that song, like, it kind of. That's what I'm like. It kind of hit me. Like, I'm not saying they. Like, I don't know if it's influenced by, but it just sounded like it. Like, it just kind of had that vibe to it. Cause I love that T Rex song, and I love this song too. But it, it just is. Before you get to the four minute mark, it's a great song. I think, in my opinion. Once you get to those last couple minutes, it goes from great to all-time great, like, song. And to me, if I think of 80s hard rock of a song, I'm going to play for someone who doesn't know it. I'm going to Fade to Black. Yeah, no, this is this is a great choice. This was on my short list. Yeah. <laughs> this is something from Ride the Lightning is probably my personal favorite Metallica album. Oh, me too. Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. There, so, uh, so I had – there is a a few songs from ride the lightning that i was like like looking over but fade to black uh definitely one definitely inarguably an essential metallica song and you mentioned that four minute mark specifically and it's kind of funny Jeremy. we take notes and mm-hmm. and, and all of that and, and i don't usually don't reference my notes necessarily but one note that i did put was uh that we said an another amazing Metallica guitar part kicks in at nearly four minutes. Like yeah. I, I specifically wrote down four minutes in because that's one of the more recognizable, iconic Metallica guitar parts Yes, is, is, is when that, that song just amps up at four minutes in. And, and, and it couples with the beginning, the twangy guitar at the beginning is just so smooth. It's just like the, mm-hmm. it kind of sets you up for this like journey. They're very interested, especially in the early days, especially in Ride the Lightning. They're very interested in mortality. They're very interested in those kind of concepts. Uh, and this is what that song's about. But just how everything kicks in. This is like a one of those one of those epic things. Like even two minutes in, it starts you hear the build and it starts getting heavier. And after James sings, uh, need the end to set me free. Mm-hmm. Like and then you can tell in his voice, it's like, okay, we're gonna take it to like a different level right here and then it ends with some guitar noodling and riffing oh, it's just, and great. just what what a song man what a choice no it's it's one of the great guitar solos of all time and i just it is something that 
the, the title, I always, we always would joke around and we would make like little YouTube videos back when YouTube started, like me and my friends. And we were always like, quote unquote, fade the black productions, you know, and all those things like that. But it's something that it's a good closeout song, honestly. Like it was the last song of the night. Like it's a yeah. fun one to play. And even the local, like one of the local, like hard rock stations, when they kind of finally like stopped, they went to like more all sports talk. The final song they played. This is back like probably ten years ago. Was Metallica "Fade to Black"? Yeah, it's uh, apropos, especially yes. if you're like if you, if you're switching formats and yes, and whatnot. Yes. That's like per- that's a perfect kind of song to close it out uh, for sure. People say too, Jeremy, that that back in '91 when the Black album came out around that time, people a lot of hardcore metal fans, people who consider themselves purists, were annoyed specifically by "Nothing Else Matters." Because they were like, "Oh, this is a ballad, and this is soft," but but like they did a ballad in 1984, right? And right. I think this is a little more has more of a harder edge to it than "Nothing Else Matters," but it was still a very slow ballady thing. And they did, and from what I've read, Metallica fans were a bit put off at the time mm-hmm. with "Fade the Black." Because Which is bizarre to me. It's very bizarre, and in hindsight, I'm sure they admit that they're wrong. But but you got to remember. That this was their second album, Kill 'Em All was the first album, and Kill 'Em All is a thrashy. Yes, like they just like that. That's a thrash metal album through yes. and through. So it must have been jarring for people to hear Fade to Black after Kill 'Em All. Like but I would think. It, I, and and, you, and you're, you make a good point. Like because Kill 'Em All and listening to that album again, like this week to get ready for it, it is straight. Like yes, that's thrash. They're they're in the underground and it's like I in people we all do feel that way you, f- you hear something you think you know it's new it's ours and then to go to this type of album you know, with ride the lightning and songs like this if i'm putting myself in their shoes i can understand it but i i to me am glad that they did this to show their chops to keep evolving and i don't listen to this song or this album and go oh there's no thrash there's no like they're just they're abandoning that like Mm -hmm. there's still that that's still at the core of it in my opinion yeah yeah i agree and i i think that metallica fans would learn to really love this song and would probably admit that they were wrong they were just sort of being stubborn around then i think you can hear cliff burton in this song because he cliff cliff was very he had the he had a very musical mind and he Mm -hmm. introduced them to a lot of really nuanced music and very interesting music and he was about composition so cliff i think inserted a lot of composition into their songs right and you can feel that here like you could really feel cliff's presence like his musical sensibility uh, in something like fade to black no he he's such a fascinating and and obviously it's so tragic what happened to him and, and you know how that affected you know the band going forth but he like you said he knew music theory and was kind of a, a teacher to the rest of the band on, like you said, composition, but also he was a funky kind of personality and kind of went to the beat of his own drum, which is what always kind of made me like Cliff. And, and I, I kind of, you know, wonder, and I, you even being a bigger fan of Metallica, where do you think this band would be like those other albums? If Cliff, you know, would have stayed alive. I, th- I think they would have gotten just as big. Yeah, I think I do too. Absolutely. Uh, no offense. I mean, Jason Newstead uh, was a, was a great bass player. He did a lot of great work with Metallica. I think he got a raw deal, and I think James Hetfield even admitted 
that that they took a, lo- a lot of their grief from Cliff's death out on Jason. Yeah. Over the years, he was almost kind of like like they they would pick on him for certain things. They would they didn't treat him like like like, like the rest like the of the whipping uh, boy kind of. Yeah, like they treat him yeah. like an outsider in, in in a lot of ways. Um so no offense to Jason, but I, I I think Cliff would have fit in perfectly with with the direction that they were going because Cliff wanted to be a rock star. Right. So he would have loved that they became this huge arena band and all of that. I saw an interview with Cliff and and James Hetfield, and they were asking them about like oh some fans. It was around the time Master of Puppets came out. It was shortly before Cliff's death, and they were asking James and Cliff like. You know, some Metallica fans were, are saying that you guys sold out or whatever. And Cliff, you could tell, got a little annoyed by that, by that notion, not about the by the question, but by the notion that they sold out. And he's like, you know, we're doing it our way. That's what we want to do. I don't think we're selling out. And that was Cliff, like saying, like, like, like we're making the music we want to make on our own terms. And so I, so I think Cliff's vision aligned with James Hetfield and Lars and Kirk's. So I think they would have been the band with Cliff. I do too. I do too. And I'm glad they kind of still went in the trajectory that they went in, you know, yeah. after his death. Yeah. I, it was inevitable. And, yeah. And, and J- Jason Newstead should get a lot of credit for that. He played mm-hmm. uh, from Injustice for All on through the 2000s to 2001. Um, but Cliff, I mean, all every fan will tell you how, how huge, what a big part of Metallica he was. Absolutely. Yes. I love this, Jeremy. Great choice. No, thanks, man. Yeah. I, I love that song. Yeah, so we have one and fade to black, and now we are on choice number three, and I am going to pick something. So from the Black album, there's probably about five standouts from this album mm-hmm. that I think people, you know, when they think of the Black album, fans think, but I think there's five songs that really stood out, and I think all five of those are probably essential in one way or the other. I'm going to pick something that I think was a compromise because Bob Rock, he came in on the Black Album. He was the producer. He had his own kind of polish and shine. He added his vision to the Black Album. But the song that I'm going to pick, to me, is a good compromise between Bob Rock's vision and holding on to their their roots, their really heavy roots, a little thrash, um, but just really heavy, really interesting it's something that I think Cliff Burton would have been proud of, a song that I think he really would have been proud of. So, Jeremy, I'm going to choose Wherever I May Roam. Okay. From the Black Album. Great and- song. So I'm going to throw it to you, actually. Like, what are your thoughts on this choice, on, on the song? I think this, like you said, the, the Black Album, it it's such a an amazing album to me because it just, it's almost like when we talk about that great year of music in 91, I feel like it gets forgotten. People like now, people don't say, but this is just as big as any of those other classic albums, mm-hmm. if not more, because this to me really just broke down the walls and you know, made thrash 
hit pop culture, which is just insane if you look at it like back from where it started. Who would have thought, right? But I feel like this is, like you said, there's about five. There's one obvious choice that we sure. might get to. Mm-hmm. But I think this is a good song here. And I think it is, like you said, a really good compromise. And it's one of those ones that I think about. Fade the Black's another. And I don't know if this is one that they played when you saw them in concert. They did not, actually. I went and double-checked, and they didn't, which surprised yeah, cause me. Yeah, because I've seen like some like perform, And this is one of those ones where I'm like, man, I would love to have seen like this song live mm-hmm. and like how they it looks when you watch it on YouTube and stuff. This is one of those ones that like I jumps out to me like this has to be a great live song. I would imagine so. I wish they would have played it. They played one when I saw them. They played Fade to Black when I saw them. But I went and double checked. I'm like, oh, they didn't play Wherever I May Roam. But it, that, yeah, that it has a really well-known guitar riff, which yes. is one of the reasons why I chose it. Like, I think a lot of people, a lot of rock fans know that guitar riff. It kind of, it's in our brains. The beginning, they had, they used the sitar, mm-hmm. which I thought was kind of an interesting choice. That gong and sitar, it kind of set a different vibe than a lot of their songs. Just how it ramps up. Like, the, like a good mark to me of like a lot of Metallica's really good songs is that, that ramping, like had that, like the slowish beginning then it ramps into something more upbeat. In fact, Jeremy, when I was, I see, I have this memory, but my, my friend Alan and I, we were big wrestling fans. And yeah. sometimes we would hold like matches against each other in, in like our rooms or whatever. And I have a memory of, of choosing wherever I may roam is like my entrance music. Right. Oh, okay. <laughs> Cause, yeah. Cause I think it'd be good entrance music. I never thought of it that way. Yeah, yeah. you're right, One though. of the other Black Album songs that you alluded to, that was entrance music for an ECW wrestler. Yes, yes. But it would surprise me if some wrestler out there has not used Wherever I May Roam as their entrance music. No, and, and you're right. Like, with this song, the buildup is great. And it start, And I think maybe, and I can be included in it, is that that's why I like Metallica, because I get to hear the whole artistry. And maybe that's wrong on my part and other people who don't like, you know, thrash or heavy metal, which is when it just kind of just goes in really hard and it's just like just discreet. I'm I'm missing out on at least initially everything. I'm missing yeah. out on all the hear that guitar, hear this, hear that. I'm just getting like instant it's not giving me that chance to oh wow, I'm hearing this, I'm hearing that. It's just come up like in wherever my I may roam and then it just kinda hits you and the guitar's going crazy. And I think maybe you're kind of hitting on something of like why Metallica for even people who don't like this genre, it can cross over because you're getting a chance to hear everything and hear their artistry. And I'm not saying that, that, that the opinion is right, but I think maybe that's why it's a crossover appeal. For yeah. Yeah. I think that might've been a little bit of Bob rock too. I think Bob rock knew how yes. to make something like that sound to appeal to, to a lot of people. And I think he did a good job of, of, having that influence but still allowing them to to hold to their roots or to like arrive to certain conclusions on their own with his kind of guidance. So I think maybe letting the song breathe a little bit. This might have been a Bob Rock kind of influence. There's something vocally that I wonder if it was a Bob Rock kind of thing. Like 
you know, at the beginning when, when, uh, before James sings the lyrics and you hear that whispering, so it goes like, I think that whispering part, I, I wonder if that was a suggestion from Bob Rock. Like, how about this might be a little different vocally? Because I don't know that that's something they necessarily would have arrived at in their first four albums, like something like that. No, no. I, and I think it, it it wouldn't surprise me if it was Bob, because they brought him in. This was a planned, you know, the Black Album was planned by them to cross over. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't like by a happy accident. This was thought out. And so I think it definitely takes compromise on their part, but it takes someone who knows how to do it. And they had had some, I'm not taking away the, the success that they had beforehand, but it wasn't that huge crossover like they got with the Black Album. Yeah, 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 exactly. So the Black Album, Wherever I May Roam, I thought you might veto it for a second. No, no, no. Okay, because no. it seemed like you were contemplating... But maybe that's just because it was a good pick that you were just trying to like digest that a little bit. No, I was I was more <laughs> of thinking like let me go back because um this album was the, my first introduction into Metallica, so it's mm-hmm. the one if the, all the albums that I had kind of like yeah I know that album pretty well. The Black album was number one, which I'm sure is for a lot of people, but like um I was just like yeah like is that one of those five like and to me it still would have made it. I knew the song. It still would have made the. I, I wouldn't have vetoed it, but I was thinking like, is that? Yeah, that does hit. That is one of. I agree with you. That's one of the like, the five songs from this album. So no, you, it's, it's you were letting pick. that guitar riff just kind of linger in your mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it was just like, yeah, I know this one. I know this one, and, it, and I'm like, I can't, I can't, I can't disagree with you at all. Like it, it does hit, and it's from such a great album too. Yeah, awesome. So we have one. From the Injustice for All album, Fade to Black, from Ride the Lightning, and from the Black album, Wherever I May Roam. So we're on number four. That's Jeremy's Choice. What do you got for me? I I think it, it wouldn't be right. Like it'd be because I there's other songs I could name. Um, but just because what was the true first song that I knew from them? What is their most probably known and famous and popular song and just a song that I think of all of these, which will just live forever. I got to go still the same album, but I got to go inner Sandman. Like, that's just something like that. It was like the first introduction, even like if you didn't want it to be, you just know this song. It's in so many sports arenas. You know, if you were a baseball fan for the Yankees in the 90s, Mariano Rivera, the closer, when he came out, you know, they played Inner Sandman. Metallica played that live for his, you know, one of his final games, which was really cool. That they did that. Have you but seen Virginia this, Tech at the football yes, games? Yes, they yes. They play Inner Sandman and the crowd goes nuts. That's awesome. That's like chill-inducing. 
Oh, so, so amazing. So yeah. amazing to see. You're right, Vatek to go hype for that. Yeah. It's just in so many sports. And then it's almost like those songs that hit sports, you know, too, like you hear them all the time. It, and it's a big reason why like certain songs will just live forever. And Inner Sandman is definitely one of them. And just that opening, that doom. So many people know that. I've seen it where people play that and right away people who I know personally who don't care about thrash, don't even like rock and roll. They like that. And they know that's Metallica enter Sandman. And just the way this song is just the concept of a child's nightmares and yeah. just, you know, James Hetfield, just hush little baby. You know, just when he's getting down, but like, it's just such an awesome song, man. Yeah. Enter Sandman. I, I had to, I had to go chalk, and put and just say that for one of my choices. No, this is absolutely essential. I know when James said "hush, little baby." I mean, it wasn't reassuring when he uh, always as a kid when I heard the next part, like "it's just the bees under your bed." Like mm-hmm. as as a kid, I was like, "Oh, that's kind of that's kind of spooky. That's not yeah. reassuring, James." But <laughs> it's uh one of the cool things that I, I think it probably was like five. I don't know what you how many years ago it was in the twenty late twenty tens, but. I, I always can say, like, with The Tonight Show and Jimmy Fallon having the roots and Jimmy Fallon being a music fan, they, they do a lot of interesting music skits and stuff. And having that, where well, they've had other artists do it, too, where, you know, one of their songs, they're playing it with the roots and Jimmy Fallon to, like, you know, with children's instruments. And I thought one of the coolest things was, like, Metallica came on and they played Inner Sandman with the roots, like all of them just playing like little like children's instruments and just, I don't know if you've seen this, Thomas, and just getting down and like just jamming with it. And it's one of the coolest things. Even with like the children, like they're they're jamming. Jimmy Fallon's getting down, and I play that song. I play that all the time. Yeah. Like even just that, <laughs> like that's just really cool to see. So like this song awesome. is just iconic. I think one of the more iconic songs in rock history. No, it is. And you brought up a really good point when we were talking about wherever I may roam. You said when they were making the Black album, they wanted to cross over. Like that was that was one of their goals with the Black album was they want to get huge. We want to cross over. And it's absolutely essential because arguably this is the song, probably not arguably, this is the song yeah. that crossed them over. So that it, it, it's essential 100% in that way. And this is also a song, personally as a Metallica fan, I still like this song. But this mm-hmm. is one of those where certain certain bands 
have these songs to where some of their some of their hardcore fans quote unquote kind of thumb their nose at it so like mm-hmm. i'm a big nine inch nails fan and the song closer is mm-hmm. one of those where like nine inch nails fans oh i'm sick of hearing that creep radio yeah 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 uh even though i think metallica likes this song more than a lot more than radiohead likes creep absolutely <laughs> but it's absolutely. one of those where fans tend to like maybe thumb their nose maybe they've heard it too many times uh but this is this is a great song the pump up song absolutely essential it was an ecw it was the sandman's entrance mm-hmm. music right mm-hmm. so the sandman awesome wrestling character had the cane had he guzzled beers he was just oh, yeah. kind of like a uh yeah he would he would always have these feuds with tommy dreamer i loved old ecw oh yeah episode on that but oh for sure <laughs> so i always remember the sandman coming out to enter sandman which made sense this is like one of those pump up songs it's why they use it at sporting events it's so essential, and I think if you really like, uh, like, made a Metallica fan take truth serum, they would tell you that they still do like this song. Yeah, because like I can understand if you're a fan of a group, and that that big song, that like huge song, that like signature song, doesn't really sound like that artist or that group. But to me, and I could be off and. I, I'm not like I never will claim to be a heavy metal aficionado. I like Metallica a lot, but I think it still has those roots. Like I'm not just like who is this group. I'm like yeah, this is still heavy. It's still good. Is it like more? You hear more production and a little more crossover appeal. Absolutely. I I I you definitely hear that. That was the purpose. But it's still like a heavy metal song. It's still mm-hmm. like a good jam to, like to rock out to. Like you say to get pumped to. So I'm kind of like it doesn't lose its core, which is always important to me. When I'm listening to something like that, it crosses over. Is it? Can I still see what it's trying to be at its core value? Right, right. The crowd loved it when they did it at Bonnaroo, so it was like a crowd favorite, and it got everybody got going. Yeah, you got to. Yeah, it was so much fun. So yeah, wonderful choice. So we have Enter Sandman from the Black Album as our fourth pick in essential Metallica song. So yes, it's back to me to round this out, Jeremy. And I'm gonna do do a little something a little different. I think I don't know if it's a cop out, but it might be wimpy on my part. But I want to do it's gonna be somewhat collaborative. So I want to post something to you, and then I'll go. Okay. So there's two songs that I'm debating about. So maybe if you could help me out and okay. say, should I pick something from Kill 'Em All, or should I pick a song from Master of Puppets? And you have that veto, so if, you know yeah. we could go back to one or the other. So from Kill 'Em All. Or from Master of Puppets? Like, what I'm would you rather hear about? Master of Puppets. Okay. So this song is from Master of Puppets, the album, released in 1986. And something that I prefer, it's not the title track, which arguably could be an, an essential as well. Yes. But, but but this one always, the one that I'm going to say is, is a fan favorite. And I think Metallica fans would think it was essential. I'm going to go with Welcome Home, parentheses, Sanitarium. Are you familiar with this? Do you need a refresher? You know what? Mm-hmm. Honest to goodness, 
if last night was like I played this and I was like, man, uh-huh. do I? So honestly, if I didn't do it last night, I would definitely have to cop and say, let me refresh it. Yeah. But this is really fresh because I my first time hearing this song in years was last night and definitely was. And I know the sanitary. So that's why I was like, welcome home. I was ready to be like, I got to hear it. But then when you said it, I'm like, oh, that was last night. Absolutely. Perfect. Perfect. Yes. So, so a lot of people prefer Master of Puppets, the song, yes. to this. But but honestly, Welcome Home, has Sanitarium, has always been my favorite song from Master of Puppets. I think it's the best. I think it's Master of Puppets, the song to me, can kind of go on a little bit. It's kind of it's maybe a little too long for my for, for my taste. I think Welcome Home it has the same effect or a similar effect, but it's it's more efficient. And it actually has more, like, it does something to me that, like, the eeriness of it, I think, really sticks out to me, especially at the beginning, about 30 seconds in. just like you can feel that like eerie vibe and then and then it's i love how it like gets heavy but not like too heavy until the end so it starts getting a little heavier when james is like sleep my friend and you will see and then you can hear feel the guitar start getting more heavy then like three minutes and 45 seconds i kind of noted it speeds up a little bit i'm a sucker for like tempo changes crescendos in song i'm kind of noticing that with you yeah yeah so like <laughs> That's why I love Welcome Home Sanitarium. That's why fans love it. Like if you asked a Metallica fan, like this fits to me as far as like an essential and it's a central album too. Yes. Yes. So I was going to say cuz I think this is my favorite song on on this album. And and you're right. A lot of people, hey, even my my friend Mike Prash who requested this episode his suggestion for from this album was Master of Puppets. Mm-hmm. But I played it and I kind of was I, I was left like unimpressed when I replied. I, I I don't I understand why they say it, but it doesn't hit me, which I know this is an essential, it's not like a personal, but I was like, no, sanitary that that was just better. And for an album that really a lot of people call their best album. This might be a little controversial. I like Ride the Lightning a lot better than I do Master of Puppets. No, me too. I like Ride the Lightning better. I might like the Black Album better than Master of Puppets. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's good. Welcome, or uh, Master of Puppets. The song is, is it's a good song, but it doesn't hit me like Welcome Home. Even a song like Battery from Master of Puppets hits me more uh, than mm-hmm. than the song Master of Puppets. But Welcome Home to me is just like. It has an emotional effect on me, and what the music does, uh, killer close to the song, to yes. just thrashing, like that's that's what you expect from Metallica, especially around 1986 when this album was released. So I'm very happy that that your your reception to this choice. Well, you know what it's it's because I like when it deals with like the one thing I'll give them like definitely like the storytelling. 
So this talking about like, you know, mental health and all that, like I, I like that, but I, this song and I would, cause I was curious. Cause I wanted to have this discussion. That's why I was like master of puppets. Cause like, this is such like for so many fans and, and critics, like this is the album, like mm-hmm. this is this legendary album for them for Metallica. But I'm like, I, if you take away this song on a, on a personal list, it, the album goes down even a lot more for me, honestly. Like, me this by far is the best song on this album. So, because if you would have given it, like, say you said Master of Puppets, there's no way in hell I would have vetoed you, yeah. but I probably would have said I, I like this song better. That's so cool. that's why I'm, I'm. it's cool that you picked this song, because I feel like this song, maybe fans are like, think I'm crazy. It kind of saved it for me a little bit. Like, I, I wouldn't call it a bad album if it, this song's not on there, but it's really, like, doesn't hit me. I completely agree. It's cool. Pretty cool. Like we're like hundred percent aligned. Yeah, yeah. On this, that's awesome. And I've always been a ride the lightning guy. Yeah. Like the the first Metallica vinyl when I started getting vinyl again, and I finally got like a good record player. Ride the lightning was the first Metallica vinyl that I made sure to get. Yep, yep, yep. That's what I got from my buddy Mike. Like I I ride the ride the lightning. I was looking at these two, for like that, and I was like I, and I can say it now because you know. That was Christmas of 2022, but I was just like, I I, I like this one better. Like yeah. I like this, so I'm gonna get that for you. Like yeah. I'm like it's yours to to play, but like I I like Ride the Lightning better. Like, yeah. but this this is a great song on this album mm-hmm. for sure. And honestly, it was like I played it last night, That's awesome. like for like a refresh because I'm like I don't know if I know this one, and then I'm like oh yeah yeah okay, and it's like coming back a little bit. So it, uh, you. It's funny because people always say we don't give our answers before, but no. it, it, we aligned perfectly for this one. Oh, that's great! This is like a top three Metallica song for me. I would say. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. up. It's in. I would say definitely at least top five. Like yeah. that's why I'm like it so carries this album for me. <laughs> it does. Like it's just this one's really good. Oh, that's awesome! So we have for our list for our five essential Metallica songs. We have from Injustice for All 1988. We have one. From 1984, the Ride to Lightning album, my, the personal favorite album of mine and Deremy's. Mm-hmm. We have Fade to Black. Wherever I May Roam is our third choice from the Black album, 1991. Also from the Black album, our fourth choice, Enter Sandman. And our final choice, five essential Metallica songs from Master of Puppets in 1986. It's Welcome Home, Sanitarium. So I wanted to do a couple of honorable mentions, Deremy, because we didn't get to like their later stuff. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to shout out a couple of songs that I love from their later stuff. Mm-hmm. So one's from Death Magnetic, which is an album that came out in 2008 that I love. And it actually it floored me when Death Magnetic came out because to me it was like Metallica really going back to their roots. Like Death Magnetic was surprisingly good to me. Yeah. Because between 91 and 2008, there was a lot of misses yes, <laughs> around yes. that time. Like yeah. infamously Sane Anger with the whole weird snare drum sound mm-hmm. throughout the album. Load and Reload had some okay things. They had a really good album at S&M. With the with the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra, but Death Magnetic like knocked me on my uh, knocked me on the floor because it just went back to Metallica's roots. So Broken Beat and Scarred from Death Magnetic, yeah. and then they released an album in 2023, 72 yes. Seasons, which I loved. Like I was, that's another one where I was surprised. Like man, Metallica still has it. Like I'm digging this album. So I, I want to urge people to go listen to the song 72 Seasons 
from the album 72 seasons. So I, I don't want to let people know I'm not ignoring, we're not ignoring later Metallica. And those are two shining examples for me. I wanted to ask you, because which album was it? Remember, um, I think you might, you, I probably know the story, where uh, they were sitting at, um, they were in the crowd for Alice in Chains' Unplugged, and they came in with the short hair, and that's when they had, like, you know, friends don't let, like, get haircuts. Uh, like, might have I been think that was yeah, I think like that. That's it that's was around that era. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like you know they made they some choices the... that that mm-hmm. kind of baffled some Metallica fans. Some kind right. of monster baffled Metallica fans, but ended up being a really good choice because that's like a great documentary. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Garage Inc. was kind of a baffling. I don't know. It was just like there were hits, but Death Magnetic in two thousand eight was like okay. This is like the Metallica that I fell in love with. Yeah. Absolutely. In yeah. 72, you're right. That, that that was like a comeback. Like, that mm-hmm. was really cool. Like, it's like, you still got it. Like, I want yeah. to chant that, you know. And I guess I, for just a couple, you know, honorable mentions that were like on my short list, For Whom the Bell Tolls. Oh, amazing. You know, was it, if, if, if you would have said Enter Sandman before, I probably would have gone For Whom the Bell Tolls. Maybe my favorite just, line, uh, Metallica line. Is uh is take a look to the sky just before you die. Yes, it's the last time you will. And then there's that little reverb at mm-hmm. the end of "Last Time You Will." That's like one of my. That's probably my favorite Metallica line. It's a great song. Amazing it's, it's, song. It's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. And, and "Creeping Death" also. Oh. Uh, so like, I, there is a bias, but I just do love that album. Like I, yeah. I, it's it's probably on like a desert island. Like depending on how many you give me, like I'm I'm taking this one with. Oh, no, it's an amazing album. Creeping Death at Bonnaroo was the song that they played when Chris Rock introduced them. They they started playing Creeping Death. That's oh, really? Op- that was their opener at Bonnaroo. Cool. Yeah, That's it, awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. You should go. It's on YouTube. The whole performance is on YouTube. Yeah, I'll check. Sorry, so you'll, you'll watch the, the Jimmy Fallon... Yes. And I'll watch, I'll watch that before. That, that I'll, sounds I'll watch really the cool. five-minute Jimmy Fallon video, and you go watch the hour-and-a-half bon- Bonnaroo performance. That's, that's <laughs> deal equal, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll probably spot you. You'll probably, like, walking across the street. Like, there's Thomas. Like, he's just, you know. <laughs> there I am. He's, he walked out with Metallica. You know, like, there he is, just Some on stage jamming. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'll be like, oh, there he is, my buddy, right there. I know him. I'll be like, hey, I know him. So it's like, yeah. But it, this is... um. So I know you, I don't know if you have a question. I know you I, usually do, but. I don't. Well, the well, like the, the mainly with Metallica, like the questions that I had revolved around like Lars and his, you know, his interesting, but not technically proficient drumming. And then like just me as like somebody who grew up around like more of a hip hop Motown R&B culture, how I felt for a minute there like an outcast sometimes because I was like the cousin who listened to rock music and I felt a little ashamed of that. But then like specifically with Metallica, it was like, well, they're acceptable. Like this stuff, Green Day, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, that's like not cool. But Metallica, we listen to Metallica. So I always felt like, like liking grunge, liking Green Day, things like that. I always felt like the outcast in the family a little bit. That makes so I, that I understand was like, that. Those two yeah. things were were on my mind as far as like burning questions with this. No, nah, well, because we we grew up at a time that was, you know, it was divided so much. Mm-hmm. So I think people who are younger, if you know the streaming age, 
you just know you can just only meet people that you, that like what you like or you're just listening you're not getting anything that's different you can stay in your your lane or your bubble which is good and bad in a lot of ways but back in like you know the day it was a rap versus rock it, it wasn't yeah. like the crossover if you liked one you couldn't like the other and and if something did cross over you kind of like whispered it to people like that's what it was and then it was like if you watched mtv oh they're playing too much this they got to play more of this kind of genre like it was very divided so it was kind of like you know which is like you said earlier it sounds stupid now that we even thought that way like you can't be a big hip-hop fan but still jam to a Metallica or to a Pearl Jam song like you still can yeah well that's why that's a big reason why a lot of these reaction videos are becoming popular because Mm -hmm. there are people who grew up just listening to hip-hop and then we're going to make this video and react to a Metallica song or or a Tool song or whatever so but the but a lot of the people who make the reaction videos did grow up in a time where it was like you listen to hip-hop and that's what you listen to and we'll make fun of you if you listen to rock or you know, that's why these reaction videos, which I did watch, especially for one, I like scrolled, like I, I fast forwarded to the parts where like the drums would kick in to see like the reactions. Yeah, yeah. Of people. So, so that was cool. What, what would you say? I kind of have an answer to this, but like, is there is there a hip hop group that you would say was probably maybe acceptable for rock fans to listen to? Of all time, like ever? Yeah, or maybe or- like back then, like we're rock fans, but this hip hop artist I've- is acceptable. I felt like um, you look. Like, I think a little bit of run. The I think the Beastie Boys were always that. Okay, yeah. I felt like they a lot of people incorporated guitars into their. Yeah, so yeah. I felt like there was a lot of people who yeah. that liked rock and didn't like rap, but they liked yeah. the Beastie Boys. That's an episode I want to do, by the way. At some oh, point. absolutely, the Beastie Boys. Yeah, yeah, would love to. Uh, that documentary is phenomenal oh, too. Yeah, loved yeah. it. Um, but I think the Beastie Boys kind of stood out there. Um, in the late '90s, in a weird DMX kind of, yeah. I saw a lot of people like who didn't like it. They, I think, because of the anger, the pa- and like he's a high, he you know, R.I.P. was a high energy performer. Mm-hmm. I can be like you here. I D, I saw DMX at the local Panera. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah, and I, I, was, I was he going was he in there. was he like breaking up with somebody or hashing over child support? Because I heard somebody say that that's what <laughs> happens. Like that's why people go to Panera. Is to have it, those intense life conversations, and so it, like it was. It, yes, you're absolutely. I don't know if it's like that now, but there was a long stretch, yeah. Where and Panera was just like, let's I don't go know, hash like, out the terms of this divorce. At a it was Panera. like two. It was like mainstream hipster, which is kind of yeah. I felt like Panera was, which is weird to say, but yeah. I had a neighbor who was like the manager there, and he texted me that DMX is here, and I said. Because, you know, it's a little, like, small town outside of Philadelphia where, you know, and I'm like, no, he's not. Like, why would he be here? And he's like, he sent me a picture, and I'm like, man, I just got off of, like, work. I'm tired, so if you're playing a joke, I'm going to be upset if I drive over there. He's like, I'm not. And, he, he, you know, having his, like, you know, black bean soup and was eating, and, you know, it was chill. He was in line. He said, what's up? So uh-huh. he was really – wasn't – he seemed so bigger. On stage because uh, I was tense. Not yeah. not a really big guy. He not wasn't a big guy though. You saw but, DMX eating black bean soup. That's amazing. But he, you know, was hardcore hip hop. But I felt like a lot of rock fans did get mm-hmm. down with DMX too. Like for that. sure, I could definitely see that. One that popped to my mind. I think that rock fans, it was acceptable to to really 
enjoy a tribe called quest yes and interestingly enough i think that the tribe called quest crossed over to rock fans especially that like those who like the alternative like a skater rock kind of like yeah a skater crowd especially mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. really started digging like a tribe called quest and de la soul so i know tribe yeah. called quest probably your favorite hip-hop that's my group. favorite group yeah, yeah so there was a lot of crossover there i think um and one thing i don't know if i felt it I could be back in the 90s, but definitely now. Wu-Tang, since you mentioned group, Wu-Tang has a crossover to a lot of different people. that, And that might have not been in their heyday, but now it's like a lot of people who aren't into hip-hop, but like they like mm-hmm. Wu-Tang and are yep. connected with Wu-Tang. See that. So they're one, too. Yeah, I definitely see that. So you alluded to something um, that, that you asked me if I had any like questions or burning questions or oh, whatever. You right. alluded to something like, did you have any closing or anything for me yeah i guess just like because um you know they they say there's the the big four for heavy metal and everything like that but part of me and you would know better than which would be like metallica megadeth slayer and anthrax yeah okay yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. so do you think though if metallica say they stopped after ride the lightning or would heavy metal have continued like or do you think like because has anyone else really hit like that appeal for heavy metal? Like besides, but like, where do you think without them, this genre kind of is like a fad? Like it's yeah. So we kind of started with let's say like Black Sabbath mm-hmm. was kind of the ground floor of it. Led Zeppelin had elements; they were very bluesy, mm-hmm. though. But for that specific like heavy metal, I. I don't think so. The one band that I could, that I think maybe could have gotten that big, not as big, would be like Pantera. Possibly okay. there was a moment where Pantera started getting really huge and playing like stadium, playing like to big right. crowds, and they had the energy. I like a lot of Pantera songs okay. too. It's good to work out to put on a Pantera song, and I'm like running the forty and. 4-2 flat or something, but <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think... I think Metallica helped make it that big. I mean, it would have still would have had its place, and I want to say that. I don't think it would have just, like, disappeared. Right. But I, but I think Metallica was definitely... Metallica definitely played a role in, uh, in getting it that huge. And I don't think even Pantera or anybody... My cat agrees... I don't think Pantera or anybody like that would have gotten it to be as huge as Metallica. Yeah, and I think I just say that because um, for those who, you know, ever back then or now want to talk about that sellout, like, you need it to appeal to keep going and to really have it like that. And I'm like, so people who want to critique Metallica, I'm not saying that they were perfect. We talked about there's a stretch of albums that aren't the greatest that that a lot of people don't like, but it's like, I think you got to give be so eternally grateful because I think heavy metals is it's a staple. It's not yeah. like it's going to be around forever. And I think the biggest thing, just I know there's other people, but I think goes to Metallica. So it's mm-hmm. like for those who are like, oh, they sold out, or they did the, if they didn't do what they did, would we be talking about that genre like we are like all these years later? So it's like yeah, big up to them. That's a good question. That's because you, you think about the other big four, like Megadeth was kind of was kind of Dave Mustaine might be saying, maybe made sure that Megadeth didn't like reach 
Yeah. Yeah, they weren't very, like, parents didn't love Megadeth. Parents didn't love Slayer. Slayer was too satanic, even though Mm -hmm. Tom Araya and maybe one other guy from Slayer, they are, like, Christians. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oddly enough. Uh, But but parents saw Slayer as, like, very satanic, and it was almost a parody of Satanism. Uh, Anthrax... They, I don't think they, I don't think the Anthrax was good enough to make it to that level. But I think, yeah, I think Metallica definitely um, had the right crossover appeal, but also like the the credibility within the genre. So good right. thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. And this was a, uh, it was fun to go to go metal with you. Yes. For the first time, we've it's done awesome. Motown, we've done hip hop, we've done grunge. I thought, let's go metal. Let's go this hard rock awesome. and metal. So, yeah, that was great. Uh, next week, we're going to go a little, not metal, but we're going to go a little meta next week <laughs> <laughs> to tell people what we have in store. Absolutely. So, uh, as podcasters and as people who love listening to podcasts, Thomas and I, I thought it'd be fun to talk about those essential podcasts that, you know, we both kind of, we're going to give our list of what are those essential podcasts you know, podcasting, you could say it's you know, around like 20 years old, really. And there's just different shows, different, you know, genres, and we're going to keep it open to whatever. So whatever Thomas feels, whatever I feel. But what are those shows that kind of help take podcasting to where it is today and where hopefully we're going to continue to see it? So I figure it'd be fun to talk about shows that inspired us and what made us want to do what we're doing. So essential podcast for next week's episode. Yeah, that'll be fun. Uh, talking about our podcasting heroes. Yeah, giving them some love and maybe some recommendations for for folks. Absolutely. Should listen to us, but there's plenty, plenty out yeah. there. Plenty of great yeah. things out there too. Absolutely, absolutely. So it'll be fun to hear um, what what kind of inspired Thomas and what kind of inspired myself. So I'm really pumped to hear that. Yes, likewise. So awesome, Jeremy. Looking forward to that. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. Thank you to to Mike and Ryan for the Metallica yes. suggestions. Uh, give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram. And please, dang it, tell your friends. We're very yes. proud of this. So <laughs> spread the word, word of mouth. So we appreciate you all listening. We love our listeners. Thank you so much. For Jeremy Dove, I'm Thomas Senna. So long, everybody. Peace. and such.